Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Compassion and Courage Conversations in Healthcare. This is the podcast where I teach compassionate communication, provide perspective, and inspire resilience. And I am super excited today because I get to interview and spend some time with my friend Richard Corder. Richard, thank you so much for being with me. It's a pleasure, my friend. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, I think we kind of went through a pandemic since we were last <laughs> in physical relationship there with one another. So Richard, I can't probably introduce you as well as you can introduce yourself, but I do want to tell listeners that that of all the people that are in the world of patient experience and healthcare, um, you're one of my favorite. You are one of the people that I know is always at the forefront of everything that's going on in the patient and human experience world. And uh, in, in addition to, to glad you're my friend, I'm glad to be connected with you through the professional means too. Thank you, man. Wow, that's uh, that's high praise indeed. Um, so I'm happy to so so and, and same back to you. It's uh, my my daughter was asking, kind of, what are you what are you what are you doing at two o'clock, Dad? I came home early to see you. I said, I'm I'm chatting with a friend. And I said, Well, can't you? He said, she said, Can't you chat with that friend at any time? And I said, No. Well, we're recording it. And she said, You're doing what? So it was just a good reminder that this is time with a good friend, and so it's uh, it's a treat to be here. Happy. Well, I'm glad Happy to give you a little background if it would help, but yeah, you, you tell me. Yeah, please. Give me some professional background and, and what you're doing today and what uh, what those who are listening in that are in the world of healthcare can, can take from, from your professional work. So um, my professional background is, <clears throat> is a little bit of an unusual one uh, in that I started my career out in the hotel business. And I thought that that's what I would do uh, for the rest of my life. And it was actually through the experience of being hospitalized um, as a patient in Boston uh, was what I now can refer to as my pivot. I don't think I was thinking it was that at the time, but it certainly was. And it was a, a point in my life where I chose to, to take a different path. And, and that path ended up taking me into um, hospital operations. Um, with a with a hotel background, uh, the way I got into hospital operations was was in through housekeeping, and then ultimately um, the not what I call the non clinical support services. At about the time when this notion of paying attention to the perception and feedback of our patients uh, was 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 becoming more and more important, it was at the dawn of HCAPS. So it was a kind of in the in the late nineties where I kind of landed at a time where that was all happening. So, and then I had a hotel background, I had a bit of healthcare experience because I had worked as a housekeeping supervisor, went back to school, got a master's degree. So just ended up almost right, right, right place, right time, and approached the work to improve the experience of care for those that we were serving by actually paying more attention probably to the experience of care, the experience that was it was our employees. So did people want to come to work? Did they have the tools to do their jobs? Uh, were we putting them into environments where they could do the best versions of themselves built on the premise that they would do the right thing by our patients? Um, so that's probably guided much of the work over the years. I've been blessed to do that type of work at community hospitals and academic medical centers. And then also had the opportunity to uh, experience the, the world of patient safety um, and risk prevention and loss mitigation 
um, with a captive insurance company in Boston. Uh, and then it was about that time where I, I say, accidentally fell into the world of consulting. Um, I think if you had ever told me I'd be a consultant in healthcare, I'd have probably um, disagreed strongly, um, but was drawn to it really from a place of being able to, again, serve others. And it is, it is there that I've enjoyed the last seven or eight years of my career, and now I get to do it at an organization called Preskaney, which I suspect many of your listeners have heard of Preskaney. I would think so that if you're if you're in a, a role in the hospital, you're you're familiar with HCAPS at least. And so, tell us how Preskaney and HCAPS and patient satisfaction, how all that plays together. So it's it's interesting that you use those three words together. So I, you know, Preskaney got its start over forty years ago, certainly in the world of um, surveying patients, in fact, prior to HCAPS, using its own um, tools, its own surveys, um, is, I think, to date, kind of the largest um, the largest vendor for the HCAPS survey. But in fact, Presgeni has really, um, I think, probably skated to where the puck is in this world of improving the human experience. And it is far less about patient satisfaction per se today and far more about how do we um, almost support, invent, reinvent healthcare organizations to um, to to take um, more seriously, perhaps, or to think more strategically about improving the human experience um, across all aspects of what that kind of phraseology conjures up whether you're the human as a, an employee, or the human as a, a member of an insurance plan, the, the, the human that doesn't think of themselves as a patient, just thinks of themselves as seeing their doctor once a year and is otherwise well, right through to um, inpatients, outpatients, and all those that we would traditionally call our patients. And how do we, how do we listen to those voices and those experiences in a way that allows us to kind of weave it all together and, and provide ourselves with, with better intel to ultimately do something differently. So Prescani really is no longer the, um, the, the patient satisfaction company or the patient surveying company that it used to be. And it's really quite an exciting, you know, we think of kind of human experience platform uh, that, that healthcare organizations, whether you're a provider or a payer, can use to elevate the experience. That's an exciting place. It's an exciting place to be. It's an exciting place to see this chapter of my career. Yeah, we've seen the evolution over the last 10, 15 years, at least, uh, of, of what what equates to uh, a good culture, a good organization. And uh, some of it is, of course, patient safety numbers that you alluded to. Some of it's been patient satisfaction. And now we're really looking at the employees, right? How, uh, how do we continue the care without turnover in the organization? And Prescani and you, I suppose, uh, by virtue of your work, have a new kind of framework that's that's being rolled out these days. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. I mean, we're thinking of. I mean, it's we 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 talk about you know data and black and white stories in color is is a, is a mindset that we have. Um, I think I heard someone the other day say um, a story is twenty times 
20, 22 times more memorable than a, than a slide with data on it. Uh, and so that's kind of bringing that to life. So it's like, it's one thing to have the data, but what story is that really telling you? And the way we think about how to, how to help folks tell stories in this space is, you know, what data are you gathering? Um, how do you analyze it? Um, how do you then visualize it? And then what do you do with it? I mean, it's all well and good to, and I think, you know, organizations inside of healthcare, outside of healthcare are famous for gathering data, uh, analyzing the you-know-what out of it, maybe even making some pretty graphs and p pretty pictures with it. But then we don't do anything. We're not, we're not significantly better year on year or uh, we're, not, we're not doing anything with it. Um, and so I think that, that's kind of the way we're, we're, we're trying to guide our clients to think about how are you listening? What are you doing with it? How do you play that back so that you see that you see yourselves in it? And ultimately, what are we going to do differently with it? So that's, uh, yeah, probably a bit of a twist on how it is we used to do things. What are we going to do differently yeah. with it, right? Right. What are we going to do differently? And so maybe, maybe this is the time uh, with with all of my my students at, at Notre Dame, the uh, pre-meds that I that I instruct. Uh, by the way, Press and Ganey are both Notre Dame alumni as That's well. Right. So That's I, right. I, I decided to wear my Irish shirt today. Thank you. Um, but my 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 first assignment for these students every semester is to write a simple two-page reflection about a time that someone has been there for them, or that they have been there for someone else. And you alluded to a story of yourself earlier as a patient. And so I, I pose that question to you. Is there, um, is there a time from your own life that you have witnessed compassion in action? And um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you reflect that compassionate interaction to relate it to the professional work today of advancing that type of uh, feel and culture in healthcare organizations. Oh goodness! Um, what a great too question. many stories to think oh, of. Too many um, stories. I love it, man. Your students are lucky people. Um, compassion in action. Um, I think. Well, there's a lot that comes. So, starting out in healthcare having had an unconventional, um, dare I say, an unconventional academic path uh, was difficult and had leaders around me not showed compassion to me. So that kind of not as a patient perhaps, but more as just another human um, to um, kind of meet me where I was, um, provide um, me a a different way of thinking and then kind of push me to be um, courageous in a way that I wasn't really ready to be, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So it was a, a CEO in the hospital where I was a housekeeper saying, you really need a master's degree. And then kind of the conversation went something like, well, I don't have one. So I don't have an undergraduate degree. And he put me in touch with someone at Simmons College in Boston at the time, who again showed, a, I think, a significant amount of compassion to not just put themselves in my shoes, but then 
turn what it was I wanted to do into action. And he created a really creative path for me to get into a graduate degree program. Um, and so I, you know, sit here now with a proud kind of owner, if that's the right language, of, of, a, of a master's degree without actually having an undergraduate degree, all because someone took the time to kind of meet me where I was, um, see that there was something there and give me an opportunity. Mm. Um, and mm. not, not judge the proverbial book by the cover. I think it would be easy to say, well, if you don't have this, therefore you can't do this. So that's just one thing that comes to mind um, as, as I think about that's that. That's great. And that's, that's showing like, hey, let's come up with a creative option for how to accomplish it. I just feel like there's, in academia especially, we're, we're pretty rigorous with our rules and guidelines and such like that. But I really love to hear stories where uh, where there's some flexibility to uh, help a student get done exactly what they need. Yeah, it's uh, and they didn't make up a story, and I am guilty of that a lot. Um, they didn't make up a story based upon the limited amount of facts. You know, that would have been easy to do, right? Which would have been, well, what do you mean you didn't you didn't you don't have an undergraduate degree? He didn't go to school and not not to kind of fill in the blanks which i think is so easy to do of, of therefore you can't but to actually have to use some appreciative inquiry and say well how, how might we and that it has been those times and, and where that has been graciously bestowed upon me that has probably given me some of the greatest opportunities that i've been afforded Appreciative inquiry. Those are words that we should keep in mind anytime we're uh, coming up against a situation that seems out of the ordinary. <laughs> Appreciative inquiry instead of judgment, right? Yeah. You must hear some fascinating stories from your students when you ask them this. I, I, yes, I do. And, and I, I love these stories. Some of them are, um, are, are deeply, deeply touching, as you can imagine with with stories of, of their own losses and when people have been there for them and then of course there's all kinds of stories when well, some of my students already have a clinical background as emts or or patient care techs and they're talking about experiences with patients in a clinical setting so it's 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 a lot of uh, richness in there. And I tell you what, it's a lot better reading those kind of papers than uh, research papers. <laughs> I'll take the reflections any day over the research. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, so you were talking earlier about this, the idea of, of what can what can healthcare organizations do to to really uh, help create the, the cultures and the environment where people thrive and therefore patients will heal and thrive. It, I know that there's no magic silver bullet that, that, um, that everybody, if everybody would just do this, things would all be fine in healthcare. Healthcare is far too complicated, at least in America, to, to have a one-size-fits-all approach. Yet there are some there are some just general standards I think that we can go by. What's what's your biggest, uh, I guess your biggest wish that healthcare organizations would take into account to help create these better environments? Man, you got some good ones, Marcus. Um, 
I am struck to this day uh, how much we seemingly leave up to chance in healthcare, and I don't think it's with any malintent. Put another way, um, and I didn't know we were doing it at the time, but when I was at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston, um, we, we we did a ton of standard work. We had a standard operating procedure and a standard way of doing our work. Um, and right down to what side of the table on a, you know, the salt went and what side of the table the pepper one went and how you picked up the telephone. And, and we really trained and oriented people in that. And I think on through one lens, you could look at that and say, well, that's, that's actually quite pedantic and that's actually quite um, silly. But in fact, um, those standards were what made us so exceptional. And working in that environment, the standard work, the routinized um, activities and even routine way that rooms were set up and um, placemats were laid out and work was organized um, allowed your your mind or your your humanness to be able to come out because you could you could kind of you you, you could almost backbrain everything that that, that 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 was routine and we so we built systems and we we built um, you know, we policied and we trained and we reinforced and then we used to have this adage of we inspect what we expect so if we said you know you answer the phone within four rings you answer the phone within four rings and I'm not suggesting that those things can be straight crosswalk to healthcare by any stretch of the imagination. But this notion of um, what we now call you know, high reliability is really when you boil it down to its most basic tenets, I think comes down to you know, doing what we said we were gonna do consistently over time. And I think we, we, we don't do enough of that in, in healthcare. We, we leave too much either up to chance or up to individual interpretation. And I, I know some might hear that and think cookbook medicine, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is that we can find, we can even find ways to communicate in a standard way. We can find ways to collaborate in a standard way. We can find ways to appreciate the work of others in a standard way whether they're daily huddles or whether that so I have a habit that I try and do a kind of a piece of Richard standard work if you like of of writing thank you notes every week and it, it, it's it's a bit of a kind of maybe it's a, it's a little light-hearted in the context of what we're talking about but the only the only way I the only way I remember to do it's not the other way but the primary way I remember to do that is to have a calendar reminder on every Friday afternoon that just says thank you notes and it's just a hard stop place to remind me to reflect on the week, pull out a thank you note, write one, pop it in the mail. So I think that we could find better ways of focusing at our, even for ourselves as leaders in healthcare. So instead of trying to boil, what, what are the, what are the three things or the, what is the small number of things that we're going to master and do really well and do it in a standard way? Um, that we know will have a positive impact on our own work, how we interact and work with our colleagues, and then ultimately the care and the service and the, um, the, that we deliver for, for our patients. There's a, there's a quote that one of my colleagues uses that says, 
you know, attention is the currency of leadership. And I think it's mm. it's those things that we are paying attention to. And the other thing we used to say at the hotel, we used to say, um, excellence is a study in boredom. So it's doing those same things over and over and over again, um, or whether what Gladwell calls your 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. But it's that. It, it's it's. And I think we often scurry around looking for the innovative or the new or the different or, to your point, Marcus, the silver bullet. And I think we have to kind of get back to some of the basics and just do those things really well, really consistently. And then remember that human beings are not necessarily wired like that. So we've got to co-create ways that we're going to hold self and others accountable and responsible for those things. I love the idea of, of co-creation right there. And I, I want to go back to the, what you talked about, high reliability. High reliability is compassion. High reliability is compassion, and especially in a healthcare setting. If I'm a patient and I know that someone's at least going to be into my, into my room once every hour or two, I can count on that. And having the ability to have my expectations managed uh, and to have that reliability, that, that is a compassionate act. I, I also like the idea that you threw out there that what excellence is a study in boredom. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Excellence is a study in boredom. I'm going to have to reflect on that one a little <laughs> bit more, too. Thank you for putting that idea in my head. I, I, the compassion piece of high reliability, I've not thought about either, Marcus. And I, it, my my head goes to the place of one of the tenets that we talk about in high reliability is this notion of a deference to expertise. So, and I often think about that as you know, the people closest to the work know the work better than anyone and are probably the best people to help co-create, co-design new ways of doing the work. And that is, in fact, a very kind of gracious and compassionate act, right? So it, it, if I think about it, it's not... It's not, you know, three folks sitting in a boardroom up on the fill in the blank floor. Mm -hmm. It's it's creating a space where the individuals that are doing the, you know, Marge Piercy in her poem to be of use talks about, you know, the muck and the mud of work. They're kind of in the in the trenches doing the work. If you're creating an environment where you respect and listen to and appreciate that, that's to your point. That's compassion. Right. Right. Mother. And when we think about, I, I, I often, you know, the story of Jennifer who held my hand in the emergency room yeah, and I do. use those two words, I'm here. Uh, that is, in my book, I talk about that compassion is that sense of a parent hugging a child, hugging their child when the child is hurting and vulnerable. That is, that's just the absolute essential of compassion. And that child knows that they can go to the parent because guess what? That parent is highly reliable, right? So I, I very much see how that reliability works in with compassion. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty easy stretch for me. And you just, you reminded me of the parenting um, uh, uh, idea. It's, and it's not to suggest and it may be a bit of a stretch to throw this out there, but it, the, it's not to suggest that we're going to... I can't do it for you, right? So when Jennifer's holding your hand and saying, I'm here, she, she can't do it for you. 
And we, I was looking at an image the other day of a, a child climbing across the monkey bars that a colleague um, had shared with me. And it's the, it's the child saying, I need you. And it's the parent standing next to them, kind of about to catch them, but not. And then once she's gained her confidence again, she goes, I don't need you. And then she slips again, she goes, I need you. And the parent never actually catches yeah. them. So it's that creating a space where we are there for each other. We're not doing it for each other. Uh, and the parenting analogy, I think it's a terrific one because it's, it's that, it's that awesome responsibility of I've got to guide you through this thing called life. I'm going to hug you when it, when it's appropriate and I'm going to soothe you when it's necessary. But how do I also create a space where the child needs to be the expert at crossing the monkey bars, not the adult. The adult's feet can touch the ground. That's not the, the, the that's not the, that's not the work that we're trying to do. But how do we create a space where there is a feeling of compassion? I'm not doing it for you, but I'm creating a space where you can do it. And you're co-creating this, mm. right? Because yep. I know that, that 10 or 15 years ago when we talked about uh, increasing patient satisfaction scores, you get a lot of bedside professionals that would say, oh, come on, I can't read this script. Right. I can't recite this like a script. And part of the reason was because there was no co-creation. This was handed down from administration who got it from somebody else, right? And, and it, it felt like it was, um, it felt like it was too scripted, too um, structured, I suppose. That, but yet that really is the, one of the ways that we create high reliability is through standardization of communication. And I, I understand the caregiver's side of things that, that I don't want to have my autonomy as a caregiver taken away by having to read a script. But I also understand the idea that, guess what, there are best practices for communication. And if we can make those best practices, we're going to have higher reliability and higher quality and less safety issues, et cetera, et cetera. But I think to your point, uh, I guess we can also, we can honor we can honor the humans in, in, in that entire <clears throat> space. So mm -hmm. we, we can, the, the, the high reliability expectation might be that you, you appropriately greet someone upon entering the room. Now that is a massively loaded statement and it affords you an enormous amount of space within which to, to create that. So, but then we need, we need to create spaces where we can have conversations about what does it mean to do that and how do we do it to, to the best of our ability. So we need to we need to train, we need to support, we need to educate, we need to give feedback. So walking into a room um, and understanding what it is that the or trying to understand what it is the patient how the how the patient wants to be called. Do they want to be called Mr. Engel, Doctor Engel, Professor Engel? Do they want to be called Marcus? Is it the morning? Is it the afternoon? I mean, at some point. The notion of scripting becomes a, a rabbit hole of infinite possibility that you're, you're just going to go down and find yourself in the situation. You're, you're never going to be able to accommodate for every scenario. And I think that's where this gets borderline offensive for human beings is you must go into this room and do this. I don't think anyone was ever saying that, but unfortunately, somehow along the way we, we got into the transactional space of scripting versus 
being able to communicate an expectation that we will greet everybody in an appropriate way upon entering a room. And that can be a that can be an expectation or standard. And then we afford each other the benefit of the doubt when it doesn't happen. We don't just, you know, go to DEFCON, whatever. You know, we don't, doesn't become the, you haven't done this three times, therefore you're going to be fired. It's like, then we have the emotional capacity to see the other side of it, but to see the other human being's side of it. With, same to the parenting thing, if the child falls off the, the monkey bars, we don't scold them for being an incompetent monkey bar climber, we put them back up and we figure out whether they want to do it again. And we we inquire as to what else they need. So yeah, it, it's yes and. Well, Richard, in the time we have left, I don't want to take all your time today, but I want to thank you for being with me. In the time we have left, I got two follow-up questions for you, um, neither of ne which are necessarily related to anything in our earlier conversation. But as a, as a certified bibliophile, uh, I'm always looking for new reads. So what is on your reading list right now? What are you working through right now? I'm working through... Um <laughs> a bunch of things because I don't know how to just read one book, um, which is which is part of the fun. I'm looking around my desk, so I'm working through uh, this again, Sapiens, um, which is uh, a brief history of humankind by Yuval Noah Harari, and I probably butchered his name. Um, and I'm really enjoying the work of um, Aaron Dignan, uh, Brave New Work, and um, Frederick Laloux, his work on reinventing organizations. Okay. Um, yeah, just three that. really awesome pieces of work. Okay. Um, I don't know about you, but my list to read uh, of books to read is literally longer than I will ever be alive. There's there's no possible way. So uh, my bookshelf, you know, though, most of those I've actually read. Have you now? Yeah, you Good. don't make it on that bookshelf unless I've read you. <laughs> Very good. My uh, my wife and I were talking the other day that. It would be so cool to have a copy of every book that I'd ever read. But then we thought we would, between the two of us, we would be dedicating at least a couple of rooms to the house for nothing but bookshelves. And either in the basement or the ground floor, because those things get yeah. heavy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm in Florida. There is no basement. Ah. <laughs> and then my last question for you, it's kind of the quintessential uh, question, but... If you had the, the, the world's largest billboard on the world's tallest mountain, what is, what's the message that you would want to convey to humanity? Can I split the billboard in half? Sure, absolutely. You oh. can do whatever you like. It's well, your billboard. <laughs> so on one side, I'd just put love. Just, I, I, I just probably put, just whether it's in a sentence of, you know, Love one another. I just I'd have love, and on the other side, I'd have um, curiosity over judgment. Mm. Mm. Curiosity over judgment. Yeah, just. And there's not a day that goes by, and I was I traveled today, so I was on two different planes, three different airports, and you see a lot, and it's real easy to really easy for me sometimes to jump to interpreting what I'm seeing through the filter I choose to filter it. 
Yes, it's very difficult not to judge. In fact, one of the definitions, my favorite definitions of compassion is non-judgmental awareness. But it's so hard not to judge. I'm going to judge that guy who's uh, yelling at his kid in the gate area. Right. I'm going to judge the fact that this line is too long and it's unorganized and the gate agent didn't uh, didn't announce things properly. I'm going to judge this cup of coffee that I got that didn't have enough squirts of cappuccino juice or whatever, whatever that yeah. goes into it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really hard not to judge, but I think it's really important to take a few minutes uh, at a time, whether this is a meditative experience, but at least once a day, sit there and try to focus on not judging. It's a practice and it's one I'm not good at, but I, I know it's necessary. Yes. And then the, the flip side of it, if, you know, remaining curious. And I, you know, I think it was made famous recently by Ted Lasso, who, if it wasn't a book and it was a TV show, that would be my TV show to throw in there. Um, okay. But his, his reminder of just remaining curious, just, you know, how might they, how might we, let's afford each other the benefit of the doubt. Let's be a little bit more gentle in our mindsets and our words. Just do we need more of that? I think that your mindset and your words today have, uh, have given me some things to talk about and think about. And um, I'm really glad you were with me today, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation, my friend. Um, I, I look forward to uh, us being able to do this in person sometime soon and uh, properly get caught up. Uh, you're, you're a good man. I appreciate you. You are as well. And thank you for being with me on Compassion and Courage. Listeners, again, this is the, the podcast where I teach compassionate communication, provide perspective, and inspire resilience. If you have thoughts for guests or if you would like to uh, share anything about the show, any topics that you want to see covered, please visit MarcusEngel.com. Drop me an email at Marcus at MarcusEngel.com. And we'd love to stay involved and subscribed and engaged with you too. Thank you so much for being with me for this episode. Thank you.